Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have a guest on the show and I'm talking to Katie Horwich. Katie is a writer, speaker, mindset coach and women's empowerment activist. And she is the founder of WANT, Women Against Negative Talk, a platform that gives women tips, tools, motivation and inspiration to move forward in their lives fearlessly by shifting their negative self-talk patterns. And she is also the host of the WANTcast, the Women Against Negative Talk podcast, currently in its eighth year. So Katie's new book, Want Yourself, offers a new approach to help you shift your negative self-talk patterns in a real lasting way that goes beyond just speaking nicely to yourself. Because self-talk isn't positive or negative, it's the story you are telling yourself. So you have to start there. This wise, compassionate and pragmatic guide filled with Katie's own personal stories and journey distills the concept of self-talk down to its core. And the book provides a fresh and much needed perspective on not only how to shift your negative self-talk at the deepest levels, but how to make that shift last in the face of real life. So in the episode today, we're going to explore Katie's personal journey, which led her to this passion towards women against negative talk and to understand what inspired her to support others through creating her resources, podcast and book. So just some of the things Katie is going to talk about today, self-like versus self-love, what is the difference and what exactly is self-talk and how do you shift your self-talk and things to do when you're in an overwhelmed storm, when the anxiety, fear and negativity just take over. Gosh, I think that's something we all need some advice on. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with Katie today. And I know that so many of you struggle with negative self-talk and this episode is going to inspire you with lots of wisdom, skills and strategies to shift this. Let's get to the conversation. Hi, Katie, and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. Harriet, I'm so, so thrilled to be here with you. I, I said right before we started recording, this is just the best way to start my day. I've been so looking forward to this. Sure. And you're in Los Angeles at the moment, that's right? I am. I live in Manhattan. I've been there for the last seven and a half years, I believe, but I have grown up my entire life in Los Angeles. My entire family is here. So I am here visiting everybody for the holidays. Ah, lovely. And you're looking very summery. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, when you're in New York City in the actual winter, and then you come to LA when you know conceptually, logically that it is winter, but it sort of feels the same as it does in April, you break out the tank tops as fast as you can. (laughs) I don't blame you. (laughs) Yeah. It's my skin is loving soaking in a little sunshine. Oh yeah, that sounds heavenly. We're Mm -hmm. like right in the middle of winter in the UK at the moment. And I think, you know, we're almost at the shortest, darkest days. It's feeling a bit like, oh, you know, can't wait for spring. (laughs) Totally. And you know, it does a number on your mental health as well. And I think it's so important, especially if people are living in, you know, in the UK where you are or 
oh my goodness, earlier this year, I went to Ireland and Scotland for the first time. And I was like, oh my gosh, it is gloomy in July. I think it's so important to just when you get that sunshine or you get those glimmers of blue sky, just, you know, soak it in while you can. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So Katie, for people that don't know you, could you introduce yourself please to the listeners? Yes. So my name is Katie Horwich. I am a writer. I am a speaker. I am a mindset coach. And for the last, oh my goodness, almost 20 years, I have been obsessed with why we have the conversations that we have about ourselves with ourselves. So our self-talk, why we speak to ourselves the way that we do and why so many people say that they want to shift their negative self-talk, but just can't seem to crack that code. So earlier this year, my first book came out called Want Yourself, Shift Your Negative Self-Talk and Unearth the Strength in Who You Were All Along. And that is sort of the culmination of the last, like I said, almost two decades worth of me running this platform called Want, Women Against Negative Talk, that gives people tips, tools, motivation, and inspiration to build their own toolkit when it comes to shifting their own self-talk. Because everybody's different, right? Mm, Yeah, so true. And Katie, what led you to to develop this kind of mission? Because I'm so with you. I think so many people do struggle, don't they, with this negative talk, and then it kind of manifests itself in all kinds of unhelpful ways in our lives with our sort of mental well-being, et cetera. But what sort of led you to really kind of go down this particular road? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because I think that when I talk to people and when I've talked to people throughout the years, and I say that my thing that I've sort of hung my hat on is self-talk, I get one of two answers. One answer is, oh my gosh, I need that so badly. And then the other response that I get is, well, self-talk, what is that? Which is so interesting, right? Because we Mm. all have self-talk that is going on 24-7 in our lives that is telling us who we are and who we believe we should be out in the world. But what's really interesting is that not all of us process our thoughts, feelings, the world around us in words to begin with or process it in words all of the time. I am someone who is predominantly an inner monologue person. I sort of have that constant inner monologue going for myself. However, there are times when there are thoughts or feelings that come up that feel so heavy, so weighty in either direction that I'm like, oh my gosh, this feels incredible or oh my gosh, this feels horrible. That I sort of pick the word or the phrase that is the most sticky, that matches the most. And so when I started doing this work, it was during one of those times where I was so aware of those really heavy thoughts and feelings. You know, this is the, this podcast really focuses on eating disorders and recovery and mental health. I went through my own mental health struggles and mental illness struggles in my late teens, early 20s. I developed a whole host of eating and body-related disorders in college. And what was interesting, Harriet, about the time in which I developed it is that this was the early 2000s. And 
the conversation we were having around mental health, I mean, eating disorders, any of it, it was so narrow. And I was dealing with many things that were not being discussed in the mainstream. Eating disorders were really talked about in a very specific way. It was either you have anorexia and it looks this exact way, or you have bulimia and it looks this exact way. I didn't fit that stereotype. My body actually did not fit the bill for, oh, this is, you know, when you really like everything is shutting down and you have to go to recovery. But I knew something was up because I was a musical theater major and it was starting to affect my voice. So I literally did not, and talk about a metaphor, I Mm. literally did not have the breath support to be able to support my voice as I sang. And so I was like, okay, this matters a lot to me. So I need to figure out how I got here so that I can move forward. And what I realized, I started to pay really close attention to when I started to feel triggered and when I started to feel those obsessions and those impulses start to come about. And what I realized is that throughout my life, I had developed this internal language that I was speaking to myself all of the time that primarily consisted of negative self-talk. And I learned this unintentionally. And I learned this from the people around me, friends, family members, strangers on the street, media. I learned it from this casual negativity that we used so often in our lives in the neutral moments. And that meant that when things really started to get heavy and feel out of control for me, that was the language that I was leaning on. And I got frustrated that people, and particularly women, again, early 2000s, were being given such a limited toolkit to deal with these very nuanced, very complex, very deep-seated thoughts and feelings and the self-talk going on. And so it Really, this work started from my own personal journey. And I thought of this idea for want, women against negative talk. But what's so interesting is that I thought of that while I was in my own sort of like two steps forward, one step back recovery, I don't know, journey, if you will. And because of that, the idea of want of that actual platform, it sort of fizzled out and went into the background of my life for multiple years after only a year, because I realized that I had created what I so needed at that time. And I realized that what I was going to have to do, if this is really something that I wanted to make a really real lasting impact with in not just my life, but in other people's lives, I realized that I needed to get so solid in my own self and my own work and what I wanted to put forward and hopefully support people in in the future if I wanted to even dip my toes into that. So when it came back into my life and the idea came back in 2014 or so, I had had so many years behind me and was sort of subtly doing this work in the background. It just wasn't public facing. And by the time I was able to launch the platform, get the podcast going, it felt like, okay, this is now responsible. This is not only responsible, but it's something that I feel like I have a team around me 
And I have sort of a Rolodex of people to call on to help support this mission because I can't do it alone. None of us are meant to do any of the things that we do alone. But it really came from that awareness that I could not have developed myself if I hadn't gone on my own journey of recognizing, okay, where did my self-talk start in the first place, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, thank you for sort of talking us through that. And your journey, you know, how much sort of did that involve things like therapy or coaching? Or was it a very sort of personal journey where you became sort of your own kind of teacher, tutor, and you sort of like really were on a sort of self-exploration road? I think that everybody's journey is so different. And I think especially now with social media out there, it's such a great thing. And it's also such a harmful thing, right? Because I think we have language to use now that we did not have even 10 years ago. So even like more recent than when I was going through all of my stuff. And also, I think that we can get trapped in the idea of what things should or shouldn't look like, very similar to how it exists way back in the early 2000s. But It's just more prevalent now because we see it and it's all around us. And sometimes we sort of take that for granted of how helpful and hurtful it can be. So my own process, I consider myself, I don't know if I would consider myself like fully full stop recovered. In some conversations I do. And then in other conversations, I'm like, you know, I think that it's always a choice, right? It's sort of like when you, that phrase of once you see something, you can't unsee it. You can never unsee your experiences with an eating disorder or mental illness. But for me, it's now about the choice, the constant choice of moving forward. And I think that my team, if you will, throughout Mm. my years has looked very different. I think my team at the very beginning, it was very much a solo journey or reaching out to different coaches or mentors that were sort of already in my life. And that was because I didn't have the resources around me because of the time, because of who I was, because of where I was, whatever it was, I did not have the resources. However, I sought out what I could find. And I think that that also challenged me to have an even deeper level of self-awareness because, again, this really stemmed from me seeing how it was affecting the rest of my life and my passions and my goals and how I wanted to build my life. And so I had to be really honest of, okay, are you only reaching out to the people and the places that you feel comfortable reaching out to? Because I think that's the thing too, right? We can convince Mm -hmm. ourselves that we are helping ourselves, but we're kind of sort of only doing either the bare minimum or what we're comfortable with. And then throughout the years, I've worked with multiple therapists. I've worked with therapists who are trained in different modalities, who work with different types of people. I've worked with them at different times in my life. I've also explored different sort of I mean, I was about to call them alternative treatments, but I don't know in in 2023 how alternative they are now, Mm -hmm. like different breathwork practitioners who are certified to work with people who have either gone through traumas like capital T trauma or lowercase t traumas of disordered behaviors or different struggles. 
And I'm so happy that I now at you know, the age that I am in my late 30s, I can look back and say, okay, I know that I have all of these different tools and resources and people that are available to me. And if I start to feel like maybe I'm struggling or I'm on the brink of struggling, whether that happens or not, I know that I have a team behind me, which I think that's something that Katie of in her early 20s so wished that she had, right? I think that I felt so lonely and I felt like, I mean, I'm using a big term right now, but anyone who I tried to talk to about what was going on with me, I felt like they didn't have the resources to be able to talk to me. So I feel like now I just, I feel so grateful for myself and I feel so grateful that we live in a world now that does provide people with so many ways to work through and move through whatever they're going through. It just really is a matter of saying, okay, what is my priority here? And how willing am I to take these first steps? Time for a short advertisement break. Friends, does it seem like I'm okay until I'm stressed and then I can't stop eating? Am I ever going to stop binging? I just can't slow down or relax. I can't tell my hunger and fullness, even though I think I'm eating enough. And I'm fine with food till something happens and then I'm restricting emotional eating or not buying groceries again. I surround myself with body positive pictures, wearing more comfortable clothes, but I still can't stand my body and I fear gaining weight. You don't lack knowledge. You might just not have felt a sense of safety inside you for recovery efforts to fully land. And this means that you might be living in chronic fight, flight, freeze or please and you need new experiences of the threat responses softening that cause the eating and body image issues in the first place so that recovery can actually stick. If you are seeking the missing piece in your food, weight and health recovery journey, consider trauma-informed nutritional counselling with Tracy Brown and Associates. Tracy can be reached at www.tracybrownrd.com forward slash get hyphen started. Link is in the show notes to learn how to shift what has been too much or not enough inside for food to feel easy. Yeah, and I think a couple of things that just have really come out from what you're saying there for me is one, you know, I think the fact that you have a support network around you because I think so many people I know so many of my listeners really feel that they have to do it on their own they're really struggling you know even though we have so many more resources and more support available sometimes it's still so hard isn't it to kind of build those relationships reach out build that network trust in a way that people can help you so yeah I think yeah that's really struck me and also the way that you and this is very true for myself as well like I think sometimes we think ah, this one thing that I'm going to do is going to kind of fix me and then I'm going to be out the other side. But it's so common, isn't it? That I think often there's so many pieces of the jigsaw that we need to fit together and like different people can support us at different times and all those different things can help in their own way. And it's almost like a lovely kind of tapestry of all the different parts of healing coming together. And of course, it's an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I love that you just brought that up because I think that it is an ongoing process because 
we are ongoing ourselves. We are going to be shifting and changing throughout our lives. We are going to be shifting and changing physically because we are physical beings. We're no different than plants or trees or, you know, I am a dog mom. So I look at my dog (laughs) and I watch her move through life. We are going to be shifting physically, mentally, emotionally, going through different experiences. I just mentioned that my book came out earlier this year. The support that I needed during that time, that sort of pre-launch time, and then when the book came out, that was very different than the support that I needed when I was first even pitching the book proposal to agents or even before I was even thinking of writing a book. You know, we go through these seasons of life that all have not just their own chapters, but their subchapters, their footnotes, and not trying to force something that once worked to work in your life when it's not working, I think is really, really important for people, especially people who maybe are prone to any sort of addictive type behavior. Yeah, no, it's so true, isn't it? Because I think perhaps particularly, you know, if you have an eating disorder at the beginning, it does help you cope, doesn't it? It makes you feel better. It's a sort of life raft. It's something to cling to. Perhaps it's making you feel safe when there's nothing else in your life that's feeling safe. But yeah, like over time, you know, if we kind of cling to that old coping strategy, it just doesn't work, does it, for the longer term? And it becomes really destructive. And yeah, you know, in time, we do need to evolve and find other ways to change and to cope with these things. Yes, I believe that with my full heart. Part of the reason I was so excited to talk to you today is because I talk about it very openly, but I am very selective with who I really do deep dive conversations with about my history with eating disorders, body dysmorphia, you know, Mm -hmm. take your pick and we can go there. But I think that people who either haven't been through it or are maybe so close to like they've just dipped their toe onto the other side and they're like, oh my goodness, there's a whole other world out there for me and I want to talk about it now. I think that sometimes, again, we can do a little more harm than good because there are so many people who like, they use different modalities or have different support systems throughout their lives. And I think we can get really, really excited about what works for us, which is amazing. However, especially if we're public facing people, we have to be careful as to what it is we are suggesting, or I don't really like this word, but preaching, if you will, because everybody is going to be different and everybody is going to be different throughout their lives. And I think that as someone who did go through everything that we're talking about, I think that when I started to talk to people and share about eating disorders and what was going on with me and my mental health, I think that I was so eager to get to the other side that I would have, if someone had said, oh, this is what worked for me. So this is going to work for you. I think I would have taken that and I would have run with it and I would not have looked at anything else. And so I think that the process of recovering, recovery, whatever you want to call it, is really about 
not just what you do, but how you do it. So really tapping into like next level curiosity and sort of treating your life like it's this experiment that you get to do now. What's going to work? When is it going to work? How am I going to build this wonderful stew of resources that I can pull from? And and that's something that takes time. And so it's curiosity and it's also, it's patience. It's patience with the world. It's patience with other people, but most of all, it's patience with yourself. Mm, Yeah, and it's so true, isn't it? And I think it just it does really take time, doesn't it, to sort of understand that whole process? Because I just sort of think back to, you know, my journey and in my 20s when, you know, I heard people talking about loving yourself and self-worth. And I just had no concept about what that meant. You know, I kind of like, you know. I find a lot actually with sort of sometimes with clients coming these days, like it's such a wonderful thing with social media and being able to access all these resources and so many people's different stories, et cetera. But there's so much external noise, isn't there, of like, you know, this worked for me and just do this and this three-step plan and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes I think there's so much noise and people can feel like, well, I'm kind of doing what X, Y, and Z are telling me to do, but in a way they're not going inwards they're not doing that kind of curious kind of checking in process like that you're talking about and that really takes time doesn't it and if we're not used to doing that and we have very little self-trust we have to like build that really really slowly and it takes a lot of experimentation and practice yes and that was something that you know at the very beginning of me saying okay I want to move forward and help people shift their self-talk and give them tips, tools, resources, all of the things that came from a place, like I said, of frustration. But what I didn't mention yet is that this was in about 2007. And it was when the media was starting to put out its very, very first body acceptance, sort of like love yourself campaigns as far as commercials and stuff go, because I think that's something that we see a lot now of we see advertisements or commercials that say we should love ourselves and that we're amazing or get this because we're amazing and we deserve it. That did not happen in 2007. And so those first sort of seeds of, like you said, self-love focused media, those were starting to come out. But for me, I was like, okay, cool. This is saying, love yourself. You're amazing. And buy our soap or whatever. But what happens when I can't do that? What happens when I can't just look at myself in the mirror and tell myself, I love myself. I'm amazing. So where are the tips and tools for people like me who can't just say these things to themselves and believe it? And now after doing this research and particularly spending the last, oh my goodness, six years writing the book that I just wrote, there's research that shows why I was so frustrated and why that doesn't work. Because if we are saying things to ourselves and there's not even a seed of belief that exists in what we're saying, then a form of cognitive dissonance is going to happen. So then we're saying something and we feel like we're lying to ourselves. So if I'm not feeling amazing. And I am so in that low, low place that I'm sure you've been in, that I've definitely been in. And I'm just saying to myself, 
I'm amazing. Katie, you're awesome. Katie, you're beautiful. If I'm not believing any of that, then I am thinking, well, but I'm not. And so now I'm lying to myself and now I've pointed out the thing that I'm not. So I'm going to feel worse. In order to believe those things, you have to have even the smallest beginnings of that belief. So the work isn't how do I shift my talk? The work is how do I build a sense of self that is so strong that the talk that is going to come out will be symptomatic of that strong, self-trusting sense of self. So Katie, could you delve in a bit more to, I know in your book, you talk about the difference between self-like versus self-love. And could you explain a little bit more about what you sort of mean by that? Yes. So this is one of my favorite things to talk about because this is something that I discovered through really watching people, listening to people, talking with people, and sort of trying to figure out like, what is the difference between people who say that they genuinely love themselves and the people who don't? And what I found is that we so often conflate self-like with self-love. Self-like is, let's say, a little more fleeting. It can be a bit more superficial. Not always, but it can be. It can be body-related. It can be situational about something that you say in a situation or you know, how you act at a party or whatever it is. So many times we'll say, I don't love myself, but what we really mean is I don't like how I act in XYZ or I don't like my body right now. I view real lasting self-love more along the lines of how we view unconditional love in our lives. So I already mentioned that I was a dog mom. So let's just take my dog, for example. I love my dog unconditionally. Does that mean that I always like what she's doing? Does that mean that I never get annoyed with her? Does that mean that I'm never frustrated her? Of course not. I am, I don't want to say a lot, but like I get frustrated with her often. I'm traveling right now, so she's not in the room, but like if I am doing an interview and she starts to bark during the interview, I'm frustrated. That does not mean that I don't love her. That does not affect my love for her. So I would ask people to think about someone, whether it's a person, a pet, some being in your life that you love unconditionally. And then ask yourself, do I always agree with what they're doing? Do I always like everything about their choices? The answer is probably going to be no. So our relationship with ourself can be exactly the same way. So when we start to tease apart these two things, self-like and self-love, we start to realize that, okay, if self-love is more about unconditional love, well, that means that in order to build that unconditional love with myself, I need to do that in the same way that I build that with others, which involves respect, which involves trust. So you have to give yourself reasons to trust yourself and build that base of love that is unshakable 
and unbreakable. And then in those moments when you're feeling uncomfortable or disheartened and you have the impulse to say that you don't love yourself or even using a very big, heavy word of hate, I hate this, pulling it back and then asking myself, okay, do I really hate it or do I just not like it right now? Because let's say I'm sitting down right now. I'm looking at my legs. It's the closest thing to me. Let's say I hate my legs. Do I really hate my legs? Mm, Not really. Do I not like them right now? That's more of the case because I have proof that I love what my legs can do for me. I love that they exist, period. I love that I can trust them. I'm privileged that I am able to, my legs can take me out on a run. I love the way that my legs are at their core. Do I like the way that they feel right now? Maybe not. And that's just an example. I don't not like my legs right now. I'm mm-hmm. very neutral about my legs right mm-hmm. now. But I think that that's something that especially when people have, if they're either in the middle of an eating disorder or they've struggled with eating disorders in the past, I think that for so many of us, our bodies can be such an easy scapegoat for the real feelings that we're feeling underneath everything. And so I find that when I'm talking about self-like and self-love with people who have experienced eating disorders, body-related disorders, body dysmorphia, I find that using a body analogy sort of really drives it home because it's very quick to be able to relate to, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no, I think really, really helpful, actually, just the way you sort of like to really broke that down. So thank you for that, Katie. Yes. So changing tactics, I wanted to ask you something else from your book that I know the listeners will be really intrigued to find out how to deal with this. But you talk in your book about things to do when you're in an overwhelmed storm, you know, when we're kind of in that kind of fear, panic, just everything's coming at us. I know, again, this is something that you have some good sort of strategies to deal with this. And could you tell us a bit more? (laughs) Yes. Well, it's so funny because I am all about, I really am about sort of doing what you need to do to feel the way that you want to feel, which involves getting ahead of things, right? And recognizing that we are, as the kids say, we contain multitudes. We are multifaceted human beings, which means that we are going to experience a wide breadth of high highs and low lows throughout our lives. And so for me, whenever people talk about overwhelm, first, I love to mention that there's no like beating overwhelm or saying goodbye, overwhelm, see you never, because we are going to get overwhelmed in our lives. That is just what's going to happen. It might not be at such a huge high extreme as maybe we have in the past, but it is a human feeling to feel. And so there's a very good chance that we are going to feel it. But knowing that is one thing. When we're in it is an entirely different thing. So for me, when I am in an overwhelmed storm. So there is no preventative measures that can be taken in this moment because I am in the middle of the freak out. 
what I first do is I objectively describe to myself what is happening. So I take the emotion out of the situation because the emotions of the situation are different than the reality of the situation. So in order to move forward, I have to realize what's going on in the first place. And this is not talking myself into anything or out of anything. This is just describing without emotion. So if you're feeling super overwhelmed by, let's say, all of the emails in your inbox, I'm just going to take a really, really simple example right now. If you're like, I have 800 unread emails in my inbox, a lot of times what we will say to ourselves is, oh my gosh, I have to respond to 800 emails in my inbox. That is not taking the emotions out of the situation, right? So first step there for me would be, okay, let's describe this objectively. Objectively, I have 800 emails in my inbox. That's it. That takes out the, I have to respond to all of these because maybe you don't. Maybe 700 of those emails are spam emails that you just haven't gone through yet. You know, <laughs> you don't know. So describing things as bare bones objectively as possible is so important because I think that sometimes we can get swept up in these feelings. I love the visual that actually the word overwhelm comes from, which it comes from a word that means to sort of overturn or to overthrow and to be overcome in terms of a ship. Like if you envision a ship in the ocean, or maybe you've seen a movie, I'm thinking of the movie Frozen right now. Hopefully this isn't a spoiler for anybody. It happens within like the first 10 minutes of the movie, (laughs) but I won't say who, but just in case no one has seen it, but there is a scene where there is a ship and there's a storm on the sea and the ship gets overtaken by the waves and it sinks. That is overwhelm. Overwhelm is getting so overtaken by the wave that you're swept in. If we go to the etymology of that and then we put that upon ourselves, then the goal isn't to, okay, I need to go find calm waters somewhere. The goal is, okay, how do I steady the ship? And steadying the ship means getting objective. And then after that, is focusing on getting to the for now normal, not the new normal or getting back to the way things were, the for now normal. Because normal now is different than normal was back then. It's different than normal will be later. Let's use the email example. So new normal would be, okay, let's function like all of the emails are taken care of in my life and I am inbox zero. Oh, happy day. It's not that. And it's not saying, okay, let's get back to the way things were, which, okay, I'm just going to ignore all of these. That's what would come up for me at least, because I want to cling to how my life was when I was not focused on these emails. And it seems like a silly example, but I don't know. If you're anything like me, emails can be very overwhelming. Mm. So for now, normal would be, okay, so the objective truth of the situation is I have 800 emails in my inbox. And I also have a whole life 
that is going on, I do not have the luxury of, which I don't think many people do who are listening, I don't have the luxury of maybe sitting down and not doing anything for, I don't know, a week, whatever, and just turning off my life just to answer these emails. So the for now normal maybe is, okay, I have an hour. For the next hour, I am going to make it a goal to go through 50 emails. Or for the next hour, I'm going to make it a goal to delete the spam emails in this email chain. So I'm not going to respond to the other things, but I'm going to delete the spam so I see what's actually there. That is the for now normal equivalent of this part of things to do in an overwhelmed storm. So it's not jumping to the solving everything forever and ever and ever. And it's also not ignoring. You know, we talked a little bit about COVID and about the lockdowns before we started recording. 2020, for many of us, I would even go as far to say the majority of us, was about creating a for now normal for ourselves. It was really frustrating for. I will just speak for myself, for me to try and do things the way that I did them before I was in New York City. So let's say before March 2020, when we were all contained in our homes, it was very, very hard for me to grapple with not being able to do things that I could before. Or let's talk about we weren't all in our homes. Some of us were called in from retirement to be working in hospitals. Some of us were essential workers who had to be out. That was a very different norm than pre-pandemic. And also, it was a struggle to look forward and say, okay, well, how are things going to be? That felt almost more overwhelming, right? Because we didn't have any sort of end date stamp for this pandemic thing that we were just learning about. And so we were all sort of forced to figure out what is my for now normal and how can I lean in while I need to lean in. And I know that that is a bit more of an extreme example, but I think that it can be applied to many of the situations that we get in because we so often want to jump forward or rewind back, you know? Yeah, no, I think, yeah, so, so helpful. And I think we often just get overtaken, don't we, with the emotion in the moment, become very dysregulated. (laughs) The image of the boat, it really, like, it hits home. And I am someone who gets seasick. So so it is a very powerful image. Imagery is a powerful thing. Yeah, no, I really, really agree. And I would definitely think of that next time I'm overwhelmed, which will probably be tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) So Katie, one last thing to ask you as well is, you know, as human beings, I guess we're very sort of wired for survival, aren't we, to have Mm -hmm. a lot of negative thoughts. We're very hypervigilant for danger. We sort of anticipate fear. And I guess that's what's helped to survive as a species or whatever. So, you know, I guess obviously we can have a lot of awareness. We can really start to shift our thinking in quite profound ways. But in your opinion, are we always going to be going a little bit against the tide of how we're designed as a human when we try to do that? You know, I think that it depends. And I think that a lot of times we can sort of over 
amp on or put too much stock in the negativity bias that we do have as humans. Like you said, we have this for very real survival reasons. So we way, way, way back when we were cave people, we would not get eaten by tigers that we would know when tigers were coming or which berries were poisonous. You know, we have these sort of, if you want to use a more recent term, we have these like spidey senses that we are designed to have as humans. I think that where we can get in trouble sometimes is when we confuse those feelings with the feelings that we have about the feelings. I think that when we're in the conversation around self-talk, we have to tease apart, again, what is actually happening and how we feel about it. And so I think that when we are in the habit of marrying those two, and when we are in the habit of looking for things that we deem negative, bad, whatever you want to call it, it's habit right? We will do what is habitual, not necessarily because we want to do it, because it's habit to do that. And that's not to say to become like this positivity fairy and think like glass half full all the time, because that's what I call dead-end optimism, right? Like that's leading you nowhere. What is important is to A, build the habits you want to have before you need them, which is why I am so passionate about Shifting these things like self-talk, overwhelm, self-love, self-trust, confidence even, practicing these things before times feel like they're really hard and you're scrambling for them. And then also being proactive, not reactive. That is a phrase that has stood by me through so many years, so many high highs, low lows. We need to practice being proactive, not reactive in the big moments, but also the micro moments so that we can move forward and, again, not feel like we are consistently going against what is natural. Because, of course, human nature is a thing. I was just literally having this conversation less than 24 hours ago with someone. Human nature is the thing. However, it is my opinion that it is not as all-encompassing as sometimes we believe it to be. However, if it's the thing that we're focusing on, so like negativity bias, for example, and yes, that is a part of human nature. It's there by design. If that is the thing we're focusing on, then we're going to see reasons to use it everywhere. It's sort of like the old saying of like, if someone says to you, the color red is everywhere, you are going to see the color red everywhere because you're going to be looking for it. So really teasing apart the feelings and then the feelings that you're having about it, building the habits you want before you need it, and then being proactive, not reactive, can help you start to build the for now normal that is going to end up building the new normal for yourself, not just like your life and situations, but who you are as a person on a day-to-day basis. Mm, Yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing all of that, Katie. So if people want to listen to your podcast, get a copy of your book, get in touch with you, could you just tell us where to find you? Yes, you're so kind to shout all of that out. So they can find me at katiehorwich.com or womenagainstnegativetalk.com. They can also listen to the podcast on 
any platform where they subscribe to their favorite podcast. It's called The Wantcast, the Women Against Negative Talk podcast. And then they can find me on social media at Katie Horwich. And the thing that I am the most excited about right now is my new book, Want Yourself, Shift Your Self-Talk, and Unearth the Strength in Who You Were All Along. And they can get that wherever books are sold or go straight to wantyourself.com to learn more. Wow. Well, how exciting. I'm really excited about your book. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you. Thank you. That means so much to me. Oh, yeah. Well, I should make sure that all the info is in the show notes. And I'm sure that people will be getting in touch and getting your book and listening to your podcast. And yeah, I just think there's just been so much value here, Katie. And, you know, I can really hear you've really been on a journey and you've done the work and you continue to do the work and you're very passionate about all of this and making it very accessible to people, I think, so they can really you know, take on board these resources and skills and understanding and change their own lives. So yeah, you know, thank you for everything you do. Very inspiring. Oh my gosh, that just, you made my life right there. (laughs) That means so much to me. I do want to make this as accessible and pragmatic for people as possible, because I think sometimes we can say things like, just believe in yourself and do the work and it's so worth it on the other side. But I am like, no, 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 no is so worth it. And there's all of this stuff out there that I feel like is making, it is hard work, but it's not as complicated as I think the world can make it out to be because there are so many blank spaces that sometimes we are just left to fill in. And that's really, really hard to do. And so as supportive as I can be to help like buoy up other people's journey and not give them like hard and fast answers, but help them ask better questions of themselves and find the answers that work the best for them in the moment they're in. I am so, there's not even a word to describe it. I am beyond passionate about it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it definitely comes across really inspiring. Okay. Well, thank Thank you so much, Katie. Really pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Do go and check out all of Katie's info in the show notes. If you're a professional listening to this, supporting people with eating disorders and you're quite new to the field, you might want to check out my online course about eating disorders for professionals. The link is in the show notes. It's a fantastic course to give you the understanding about eating disorders as a coping strategy, to work on motivation for change, creating a psychological formulation with your client and learning specific skills and strategies to support your clients and ultimately to gain confidence in working in this field. So yeah, the link is in the show notes, eating disorders, professionals training online. If you're not following me already on Instagram, do seek me out at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'll be so grateful if you would follow, rate, and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today, and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. <music>